0: This is Reset, I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Shelling, displacement of civilians, hunger. No, I'm not talking about the situation in Ukraine. I'm talking about the conflict in the Tigray region of Ethiopia. Since November of 2020, the country has been engaged in a civil war over who gets to have political power. It's led to more than two million people displaced, thousands dead, sexual atrocities, and some say even ethnic cleansing.
1: The Tigray people say that they have been targeted based on the ethnic distinction on their ID cards.
0: Ethiopia's leader acknowledged that some possible war
2: crimes had been reported amid allegations of ethnic cleansing and sexual violence.
0: This has resulted in a humanitarian crisis. The BBC reports that truck convoys with aid have not been allowed to enter Tigray since December. And the United Nations says that over two million people face severe hunger. Now, help could be on the way. Yesterday, after months of conflict, the Ethiopian government declared a humanitarian truce, saying it hopes aid can start flowing into Tigray. But many remain skeptical that the Prime Minister of Ethiopia will stand by his word. Joining us now with insight into how the US government has engaged diplomatically is Elizabeth Shackelford. She's a senior fellow on US foreign policy with the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. And she wrote an op-ed in the Chicago Tribune titled, Don't Ignore the War in Ethiopia. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Good to be here. Also with us is Tigis Rada, a Chicago resident originally from Ethiopia. She's also chef and owner of Demera. That's an Ethiopian restaurant in uptown. Welcome to the show, Tigist.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I want to start with you, Tigis. You are from Tigray, and you still have family there. So how are they doing?
1: Uh, we can, like, uh, the last time I talked to my mother is seven months ago. So we wow. yeah, uh, we're super worried about them. I hear they're okay, but uh, at large, the whole Tigray is not okay. Uh, but, um, yeah, that was seven months ago that I've heard
0: from my mother. So you haven't talked to her in seven months. How are you even getting updates?
1: It's through, like, you know, if you know anyone, um, I've known one person who worked in, uh, in one of those nonprofit profit organizations, they can send us saying she's okay, but really, um, uh, yeah, other than that, like, there is no way of finding, like, if your extended family is okay, or are they having financial difficulties, or are they anything about them, or some of the bombs that drop, did drop on your cousin's house, you don't
0: know, yeah. What do you want people to know about the situation in Tigray?
1: That is very dire. Um, There are no banks. You can't access your bank anywhere in Ethiopia if you open your bank account in Tigray. Uh, There is no internet. There is no phone. Aids are not allowed. Medication, after so many fights, got allowed in a little bit, but there is no gas to transport the medication. Doctors, teachers have not been paid for over eight eight months to a year. So um, we have over two million people displaced. And um, so that we want people to be a voice for us because mm-hmm. since there is no media allowed,
0: this war has been fought at, at the dark. Can you tell us about the sexual violence?
1: Yeah, uh, women were being used uh, like a staggering number uh, as a weapon of war that, uh, it's like I don't know, it's used as dehumanizing the ethnicity or the region when raping mm. uh, women. So we had soldiers from Eritrea and also from Amara region and some Ethiopian uh, military uh, gang raping, raping women uh, at a very
0: large numbers. Elizabeth, let's bring you in here. Can you give us some additional context on on why the war started?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been a longstanding, um, Ethiopia's had a longstanding challenge of of ethnic issues and the the Tigrayan population. um, Basically, uh, you have the Tigrayan rebel group right now that was essentially the group that was controlling the government largely for a couple of decades. And Ethiopia is a very, very diverse country. And um, for a long time, you know, you've got these different regions that have um very different uh, ethnic characteristics but they uh they function i mean it's a, it's a huge country which was functioning pretty well but under uh, a pretty strong sum of the of the chakrain government for a long time until a few years ago mm-hmm. when Abiy ahmed the current uh, prime minister um came in and it was it was a pushback against the the rule over a long period of time of the tplf which is now effectively like the rebel group that the Ethiopian government is dealing with. So you did have some pushback. I mean, in this case, you know, you have some, you have some bad actors on all sides. But basically, Abiy Ahmed saw an opportunity for. I mean, in my view, he basically saw an opportunity to try and address what he has long called the Tigrayan problem. So it's very, it's a very ethnic approach in nature. Um, there was a conflict um, before the outset of the war when the Tigrayan uh, region wanted to hold independent elections the Ethiopian government was trying to postpone those elections and this basically pushed into uh, a bit of a military conflict in the region. And after that, the Ethiopian government basically went all in on an aggressive attack against the region. And there seemed to be this push to, well, actually, it rhymes a little bit with what we've seen with Putin in Ukraine. I think that Abiy expected that it was going to be a very quick push and he was going to be able to take care of this, what he saw as this regional problem rather quickly, without much pushback, mm-hmm. and as it turned out, the Tigrayan uh, rebels did a pretty remarkable job in pushing back. You know, the Tigrayan re- uh, regional military force. I mean, they had, after all, basically run the Ethiopian military for a very long time, so they were quite capable. Um, and they, there was, but there was a massive influx of public support in the Tigrayan region because they saw what was an attack very much against the entire ethnic group, and it was, I mean, horrific. Attacks on civilians, very deliberate attacks on the civilian populations there. Yeah. Uh, very deliberate attacks on the capital um, and you know uh, you know buildings and uh, populations and you know uh, as as we've just heard, uh, very direct attacks on you know women and civilians. And so there was a huge pushback, um, and the the conflict really turned around. Though I mean, you actually saw the the Tigrayan rebels joining up with some other um, ethnic militias, and they were basically believed to be assumed um, mid-last year to be marching on Addis. And, and effectively, um, the Ethiopian government managed to land some very effective drones uh, from the Turkish government. And mm-hmm. um, that's at least what we see to have turned it around. And so ever since there became the stalemate and the Tigrayan military was really being pushed back dramatically, since that time and since this kind of turnaround, the government got in charge you have just had a proper blockade of the entire region. Um, it is very hard. There is a communications blackout, as you've heard. Mm-hmm. There it's very hard to get humanitarian aid in and it seems quite intentional. And so that's basically what has brought us to where we are today.
0: Tigist, what are your thoughts on the humanitarian truce?
1: Um I like I want that to happen. I want that like there is a chance that actually humanitarian aid access could be open. Uh, Medical would be in, uh, banks would be in uh, open, and communication will start. But um, the Prime Minister, it's hard to believe the Prime Minister's war, because this is the third ceasefire for humanitarian reason, and two of them did not happen. When there is a pressure, he says, yes, we're gonna let the humanitarian in. And then when the world turns there, I somewhere else, and then then it's all locked in again. Mm -hmm. I want this to happen, but I'm also very, very doubtful uh, to believe um, the
0: prime minister's word. What do you think it would take to believe the prime minister?
1: Uh, I think the pressure needs to stay on. Uh, I know there is a bill that's being pushed, uh, the HR 6600 uh, for sanction for the government. that needs to stay on in order to force him to allow humanitarian aid in um, like medical access, communication and bank because um, it's very, very dire. Uh, doctors are not able to perform anymore because they haven't been paid in eight months. So like some have fainted out while giving um, care. So. I just don't want, this is the third time this is happening, that there is an agreement for humanitarian access, and he takes, like, never sticks to it. Mm-hmm. So I just want, the like, the pressure to stay.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking about the civil war and humanitarian crisis in Ethiopia's Tigray region with uh, Elizabeth Shackleford of the Chicago Council on Global Affairs and Tigist Rada, Chief and oh, chef, rather, and owner of Demera Restaurant. Um, let's talk more about this humanitarian crisis, Elizabeth. I want to first listen to a clip from Dr. Tedros Adnam Uh He's director of the General, uh, director general of the World Health Organization. Uh, he addressed the situation in Tigray at a recent press conference in Geneva.
1: In Ethiopia, 6 million people in Tigray have been under blockade by Ethiopian and Eritrean forces for almost 500 days, sealed off from the outside world. There is almost no fuel, no cash, and no communications. No food aid has been delivered since the middle of December. Yes, I'm from Tigray, and this crisis affects me. My family and my friends, very personally, but as the director general of WHO, I have a duty to protect and promote health wherever it's under threat. And there is nowhere on earth where the health of millions of people is more under threat than in Tigray.
0: As I mentioned, Elizabeth, over 2 million people are facing severe hunger, which has the potential to be made worse by the war in Ukraine, right?
2: Absolutely. I mean, a lot of sub-Saharan Africa relies on Ukraine and Russia for their uh, wheat exports in particular, and a number of different agricultural products. And I mean, this is, it's a a really just the scale of the humanitarian crisis. And it's not just in Ethiopia. The entire region of the Horn of Africa is struggling with with a hunger crisis right now. But the humanitarian crisis in Ethiopia is far worse, specifically because of the uh, blockade that has been ongoing, and it's you know it's worsened by, you know, just the the climate challenges that we have across the region. But I, I want people to understand, you know, as we're able to see so much of the suffering that's happening in Ukraine, and that is over the course of a, a horrific war that has lasted for a month. So if we know what the stories that we're hearing coming out of some of these blockaded cities are are really horrifying, I want people to think about that and put it into the scale of. You know, a country like Ethiopia, where this has been going on for so incredibly long. I have I have Ethiopian friends who have family in Tigray. Uh, a good friend of mine's uncle just died because he couldn't get insulin. Mm. I mean, these are the types of things that are, that are that are happening there, and with so little news coming out because of the very effective communications blockade as well. Uh, the only reason that she's able to find out what's happening with her family is because she has some extended family who's close to a border, so they can get a signal. But it's very very difficult, and because it is, I mean, both. You know, remove more removed from the Western world just physically speaking, and because there are, you know, no journalists really there able to yeah. get the word out, it is um, it's much more you know, the the West and the rest of the world is much more blind to what's going on. But my hope is that having this empathy that we have for being able to see what's going on in these blockaded and war torn places where there are attacks on civilians um, in Ukraine will help people to have more empathy for the situation in Ethiopia and how urgent it is. Um, as far as the humanitarian truce that's been announced, I actually believe that it probably is linked to, you know, the U.S. Special Envoy for the Horn of Africa has just been in the region. He had a two-day trip. Mm -hmm. You know, Congress has been putting more pressure on with these uh, bills that have been introduced. There is a threat of, you know, if if these bills pass, what you're going to see is that the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, is going to be put in a position where he must make a determination as to whether or not genocide is happening in the area. This, uh, these bills are pushing for more, uh, for a higher level of sanctions. So I think that that pressure is working now because mm-hmm. the Abiy government is responding by saying that they want to do a humanitarian um, truce of some sort. But absolutely, we're going to have to wait to see what actually happens. This promise has been made before and it has not come through. Uh, so the pressure, the diplomatic pressure, yeah. needs to stay on and and we need a little bit more uh, coordination across a number of different countries so that Ethiopia can't simply turn to other partners uh, to fill the gaps that. You know, the U.S. is trying to close off to put pressure
0: on. Sticking with you for another question here, Elizabeth. Yesterday, President Biden held a press conference from the NATO summit, uh, pledged mm-hmm. more support for Ukraine, and that uh, 100,000 Ukrainians can come to the U.S. What support has the president or his predecessor given to the people in Tigray? You
2: no, know, it's. I mean, it's a. It's a really. It, it's a complicated issue with Tigray. Um, you've seen a very big diplomatic lift over the last year and a half. But it certainly was nothing like what we've seen uh, with what has happened with Ukraine. And you know there are kind of some, some very qualitative differences. One is, as soon as the invasion of, of Ukraine happened, you had allies, you know NATO allies, the, the EU, EU countries, the US, other countries across the world, like Japan and Australia, they were ready for this. And they had a coordinated set of, of sanctions and pressure that they could uh, put on together. And the multilateral effort really is, uh, far more effective. With Tigray, what you saw at the very beginning was this—you know, I mean, you certainly saw the the words condemning the action. You certainly called, uh, saw a lot of uh, a lot of diplomatic meetings and a lot of visits from high level folks from the United States and other countries. But there was this interest in kind of keeping it diplomatic and using the threats of sanctions mm-hmm. rather than really putting the pressure on. So I think that there was just this this idea. There, it was certainly not as prioritized. It was um, something that was very alarming for the administration when it happened. But you also have to look at when it happened. I mean, November 2020, what was happening in the United States? We had a pretty big election. An election. And yeah. this invasion happened right then. So it took some time to, to kind of mobilize a real a U.S. response. And it was not and has not still been really coordinated across the group of allies. So um, there, the U.S. has certainly in the past few months stepped it up. Congress yeah. has a strong interest in, in keeping the pressure on. But unfortunately, I think it started off very, very slowly. And at a time when you know, the Ethiopian government was looking fairly weak in that conflict, that would have been the time to put more pressure on. By the time that the, big, the bigger round of U.S. sanctions that were put in place uh, last fall happened, uh, the conflict was really turning around, and the Abiy government was saying that it was basically winning the military yeah. Uh, the military battle there. And so I think that we've really missed a window. So the hope is, you know, at this stage with how dire it is, you know, can we maybe learn some lessons from how effective and coordinated the, you know, the various diplomatic tools that we've used on Ukraine and try and turn that type of right. pressure on the Ethiopian government.
0: Tigist, you recently participated in uh, Chicago Chefs Cook for Ukraine. That's a fundraiser for Ukraine relief. Are you hoping for that same level of support for Tigray?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, this started with um, Tony Peralo from Piccolo's, uh Restaurant and uh, Sarah Stranger from Perry Grass Cafe. I just got an email. Would you be part of it, from Sarah? I'm like absolutely. Uh, and it was great to see that seventy-four chefs came together to cook, and we were able to raise five hundred thousand nice. in one night. Yeah. So it's great, uh, but I asked uh, Tony, Sarah, everyone, and the, the the chefs that mostly I got in contact to, if I ever do this for Tigray, would you be involved? So they said yes,
0: so I'm looking to do that. Um, oh, so, that's great. Uh, that's great, yeah. and, and before this, you've, you've held several fundraisers for Tigray, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I've done it uh, with uh, Paramount Group. They gave us a space. Uh, we did a gala. And at the promontory with the sixteen and center, they gave us a space again. We did three weeks pop up. We raised over one hundred ten, and we were able to open uh, with partnership with another organization in Sudan uh, wellness center, um, where sixty thousand refugees are actually there, um, that are really suffering. Yeah, with uh, yeah, no medication, not enough medication, no food, nowhere to go. So. Uh, we have a wellness center there, and uh, we're working on a small business for women who are survivors of gender-based violence. Um, so that's where the money we want it to go. And hopefully when Tigray opens soon, is that's where we want to continue to help is the gender-based violence. There is an alarming number of women who've been a victim of this heinous crime, but yeah. uh, we want them to get back to their life.
0: As we wrap here, Elizabeth, tell us what you'll be keeping an eye on uh, as the situation develops.
2: Well, I'll be very curious to see how the um, how the diplomatic uh, efforts and pressure move forward, and what happens with uh, this pushing Congress. You know, are they going to be able to get some legislation across that's going to enable um, you know some more some more use of sticks against the against the Abiy uh, government at this stage, are they going to be able to, or are they going to take the lessons from Ukraine and try and mobilize a bigger front that's really unified? And frankly, what's going to happen with this humanitarian corridor? Um, I have to say, I, I agree, I'm, I'm, I'm not optimistic that this is going to be anywhere close to the end of the war, but, um, but my hope is that the, the pressure is clearly um, turning on with AVI, and he's getting a little bit responsive. So at least maybe in the near term we can have some humanitarian relief, get a little bit more truth coming out of the region and uh, use use the interest level, the high interest level in victims of war right now mm-hmm. across the globe to draw more attention to it.
0: That was Elizabeth Shackelford, Senior Fellow on U.S. Foreign Policy with the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. Also with us, Tigis Rada, chef and owner of Demera Restaurant. Thank you both. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.